unofficial title, The Greatest, can be debated in a variety of ways, but to me, there's no question. Not about the knockdown. It's about what we do after the knockdown. So much desire in Fernando Vargas. That is what defines who we I am just a poor boy, though my story's seldom told. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Responded my resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such I promise. He only saw two fighters that ever had it, Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Robinson. Marciano. And he, he hits you so hard at Jai Kim, folks, and I. Hockey Marciano was one of the uh, toughest men ever. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Another another edition of the Pugilistic Pulpit, the little mini series where we talk exclusively about boxing, and by we I mean me and the voices in my head. I am your host, Adney Barreno. And wow, is there a lot to talk about. This episode is going to be just um, a straight review of what happened on September 16th, Mexican Independence Day, between uh, Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, um, even though there's so much more stuff in the boxing world to talk about. But I'm going to, no, I'm going to, I said I was going to just do this, so I'm just going to do this. And before we get in to uh, the breakdown of the actual fight um, or what could be coming in the near future, there are several options. We'll get to those. I totally promise. Let's talk about what everyone can't seem to stop talking about, and that is Adelaide Bird's bizarre scorecard. Where she gave it 118... 110 to Canelo Alvarez. Like, you, like, okay, a lot is, a lot has been said, to say the least. That, that's putting it mild, is that a lot has been said. Everyone is freaking out. I can't I mean, no one freaked out better than old Teddy Atlas, of course. I mean, we like to make fun of Teddy, don't we? Those little Teddy-isms, he brings up weird metaphors about how his legs are not al dente. They need to be al dente. Weird shit like that. Um, he's a very angry guy. Sometimes he says silly stuff. Sometimes he'll stand right in the middle of Andre Ward and Terrence Crawford and tell them both they're not the number one pound for pound. And and he'll refuse to put Gennady Golovkin on his pound for pound list, but have Keith Thurman on there. But hey, I got to tell you something. First off, pound for pound lists are subjective and kind of silly. Okay, they're just a fun little thing. So if that's how he wants to do it, god damn it, this is a free sport. You can do what you want. Do what you want, Teddy. Secondly, for every weird Teddyism that he gives us, for every time of his one of his weird outbursts and he's just kind of like, oh god, here, here, here Teddy goes, he's given us a fireman speech. He's given us one of those great moments. Or he's given us what he gave us on Saturday and his impassioned speech about how he feels about fighters, how we all feel about fighters. I mean, I'm assuming if you listen to this shit, you're a hardcore fight fan. You might not be, I don't know. But still, if you're anything like me, you feel exactly how Teddy felt. It's We fall in love with this sport, 
and spend years following the sport and just absolutely loving it. We spend countless hours not just watching footage, but maybe trying to learn the sport ourselves. We fall in love with these fighters. We 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 admire them for what they do, for what they give to themselves in the ring. I mean, a year doesn't go by. I've talked about this a million times. A year will not go by in the boxing calendar year where I don't hear about another fighter dying due to injuries sustained in the ring. And that's what Teddy was trying to point to, about him talking about how every time they go in there, they're a little bit less. They're a little bit less than what they were when they came in. I can't do a good Teddy impression, but you know you know Teddy. He's a maniac. And how angry he is about how, yes, they are a little bit less. Every time you do go in there, every hard fight that you are involved in, you just chip away just that little bit more of what you have in you. Like this, there's a there's a finite amount of yourself you can give in the ring until it's gone, and then you end up with like unfortunate what we saw a week ago when Chocolatito Gonzalez just the last big chip of that was chipped away by Rungvasai in their first fight. So when it came time for the rematch, there was just nothing there. He was the shell of himself. And the fact that these guys go in there and they risk death and they risk not just that, but like just even permanent damage even for the rest of their lives. And yet someone like Adelaide Bird can come in and not show any respect for what these guys do. I don't know, like, like the, I don't know what she was thinking or doing or obviously she defended her choices for the round, but to just sit there as, as if she already had the card filled out before she even walked to the fucking arena and to give 10 rounds, like you only give two rounds to Gennady Golovkin, two rounds in the entire fight. It was, that was just disrespectful. Disrespectful. She gave, I, I have the card here. Um, uh, so she gave um, Gennady Golovkin the fourth and the seventh. Um, on my personal scorecard, I got it here in a notepad. I also gave both those rounds, and it was, those are pretty big rounds for Triple G. Those were him. He was the fourth round was I believe when he really turned the fight around. He really took all the momentum from Canelo and started to imprint himself on the fight. The seventh um was when that was actually the when Canelo sort of took a break from the entire round and just kind of danced around and looked like he was killing time, waiting for a second win to come up. But those two rounds only to Gennady Golovin was a fucking disgrace. Um I uh, of course, she was also scheduled to uh, be on a UFC card uh, later in the year, and they took her off of that. Good fucking move, UFC. Sm- yeah, jump on that shit immediately. Oscar De La Hoya is over here fucking up again. Like, oh, man, I remember. You guys remember, too. It was just like a week ago or something. But uh, when De La Hoya was talking so much shit about uh, McGregor versus Mayweather, and it's like, dude, we all know it's like a, it's what's going to happen. Like, it's a, it's a silly little sideshow event. Like, but he was just going so hard on it. It's like it was, he made a lot of us boxing fans seem whiny and just kind of like, dude, are you really like, come on. And like, I think the, the, the classier way would have done it would have just to kind of do what Gennady and Canelo themselves do. We're just like, oh, that fight, that's not a fight. That's going to be, it's, that's an easy fight. That's a blowout. Who cares? You want to see a real fight? Watch this one. But Oscar didn't settle there. He just went overboard, and I didn't like how he how he reacted to that. And then here he is after this huge fight, and he's not reacting well to this either. He's with him. He said that Adelaide. He's, he said that he scored the fight 
for Canelo by a round. He got it. He had it, I believe, one fifteen, one thirteen. So uh, just one round change from a draw, which was the official verdict. Um, he had it for Canelo, uh, one fifteen, one thirteen, and that Adelaide's bird or Adelaide <laughs> Adelaide's bird. <laughs> what the fuck? Adelaide Bird's fucking guard was okay, and that's not what you do. You look so corrupt. You're making the all the entire sport of boxing look like every last event is fixed in a hundred, like fucking 20 years in advance. Like the, the fucking Illuminati is involved. You're giving all the conspiracy theorists out there. All the, this is their chemtrails. That's the, you're giving them the, the, the chance to just cry fucking chemtrails all over the place because you're telling us like you fucking God damn it. Oscar, this is why Bob Edwards is better. Promoter. But he should have said, I do not agree with Adelaide Bird's score. Yes. I had it for Canelo. I thought my fighter won, but I think it's disrespectful that she gave that many rounds to Canelo. I think that's an unrealistic fight. I think that she did not give us a good scorecard. He should have been the bigger man about this. He should have come out and like really fought against it like that. But of course, he's acting like an asshole. And what's even more fucking ridiculous is that we got news that Golden Boy Promotions is starting to work with Conor McGregor for a potential fight between Conor and Canelo. You look, he he's looking bad. He's looking dumb with that move, man. Like if you didn't, if you just didn't talk so much ridiculous shit, like it would have been a little more relaxed going in. If you'd have just played it cool and been like, yeah, that fight, that that fight is not going to be competitive. Pay attention to our fight. If you would have kept it at that, this whole all these all this news and these rumors about Canelo potentially fighting Connor would be much easier to swallow. Anyways, we're gonna get to that. I will get to that whole the op the 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 idea that that fight might happen. I'll get to that later in the show. Anyway, I talked about the scoring. 118, like, I when I first heard that, like, first hearing those scores, I, I couldn't believe it. I watched the fight with uh, a good friend of mine, Chris Smith, who, you guys may remember, I mentioned him on the last episode. He sent me some questions that I answered on air. Um, me and him watched the fight together. After the, after the uh, sixth round, we just gave up sitting on the couch like we were sitting on the couch and then kept jumping up and said fuck it what's the point let's just stay on our feet and we were on our feet for the rest of the entire fight it was so much fun to watch a fact that has been getting lost in the whole controversy behind Adelaide Bird's card which is such a fucking travesty how good the fight ended up being is just lost because of the scorecard and I'm so sick of that fucking app I'm so sick of that happening you guys I've seen so many big fights, and I know I'm, I, I'm, of course, I'm young, and I only started boxing myself 12 years ago. That's a very short time in terms of boxing years, but it's not like I, I've, the amount of fucking fights I've watched, it's, fuck you, okay, how about that, all right, let's give you some credit. <laughs> I've seen every big fight you can think of, and, like, it's, the, f- <sighs> of course, this fight was compared so many times to Hagler Hearns, and obviously, that's, that didn't go the distance. Uh, that's regarded as the three most exciting rounds in boxing history. And we didn't get that. And I think even though like it ended in a draw, the fact that it didn't end in a knockout is already kind of like, oh, I wish it was going for a knockout. Um, the fact that it ended in a draw is kind of disappointing because like, it doesn't feel conclusive. It's it, the draw. A draw is always uh, to most people. But if, if it would have just been that, 
If Adelaide Bird would have turned in a 114-114 card, you could have blamed her for favoring Canelo a little bit, but at least it would have been easy to swallow. You would have been like, oh, this doesn't leave a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, it's, a, it's a majority draw. I get it. It was a close fight. I understand that. Let's move on to a rematch. But because of a 118 one did come on. Don't let her don't let her judge a big fight again. No, she shouldn't be allowed to judge a big fight again. The the Nevada State Athletic Commission has shown time and again that they just don't give a fuck about the judges. Past few years, like I mean the Timoth it's not as bad as the Timothy Bradley Manny Pacquiao fight, their first fight. It's not that bad. It's not that hard of a high of a fucking highway robbery, right? It's not a robbery at all, really, because that wasn't the official decision. I've heard some people uh, complaining about that, saying over and over again that this fight was a robbery. And um, spoilers, here's how I scored it. Uh, seven rounds to five for Gennady Golovkin. I thought Gennady Golovkin edged the fight, but I I definitely think it was close. I mean, you change one round on my scorecard and it's a draw. One round and it's a draw. I know exactly how you would change the first round. Um, I actually scored the first round um, for Canelo based off his body punching. I thought it was a not, not, it was a lot of feeling out that round, and I thought I give a lot of credit to body punching. I think it's incredibly important, and not a lot of judges give enough credit to it. Um, but anyway, that's just my opinion. But so that's why I gave that round to Canelo, and ultimate or um, and you know ultimately it was still a pretty close fight. But I did still didn't score it a fucking draw. Um, it's the fact that this isn't the first really bad card by Adelaide Bird, and the fact that this isn't the first time the Nevada State Athletic Commission has really dropped the ball in picking which judges are going to go for a fucking fight. Like it's it's it seems just like fucking laziness. That's what it seems like. It's like oh, just give it to blah blah blah. We'll put one great judge in there. One judge has a lot of experience, and one judge has like this other judge that doesn't have a great track record. They do have they've done that a hundred times, and most of the time it ends up okay. But it's really, really fucking painful to the fans when, especially on the biggest stage we got, you fucking give someone who's has a record of bad judging, and they turn in that kind of card. It's such a fucking black eye. And if there's any justice, we won't hear from Adelaide Bird or her judging. Um, opinions for quite a while let's move on (laughs) to what actually fucking happened because we cannot lose that we cannot lose sight of the fact that this was a great fight at the end of the day no matter who you had winning or whether you think the draw is justifiable we had a legitimately terrific fight it wasn't the three-round destruction that was Hagler-Hearns, but come on. What is? It's, it's, it's the three most exciting rounds of boxing history. Uh, this this fight was still something to behold. So, Like I said, um, I had it uh, 115, one to 113 for Gennady Golovkin, but it was it was definitely close. Uh like I said, and also the first round, um, Harold Letterman scored it, uh, scored it for Gennady Golovkin. Um, I scored it for Canelo. Uh, Letterman definitely gave um, 
Gennady credit for that round based off the fact that he was pressing the fight. He was trying to make the action. Letterman talked about it. He's like, you know me. I like to give credit to the guys who was aggressing. Um, that's why uh, Letterman, like, if you want to think back, like the uh, Manny Pacquiao's four-fight series with Juan Manuel Marquez, um, several times he like he would he tended to score it for Manny because Manny was always the one coming forward and trying to quote, make the fight. And even in those fights, I felt he didn't give Marquez enough credit for the body punching attack. And I think that was something that happened here in, in this fight too. Um, but just in that round. Other than that, like our my score lined up pretty closely with uh, Letterman's scorecard. I just had it a little bit closer. Uh, that first round, though, a couple of really good body shots by Canelo. He went to the body early on and kept going to the body. Gennady took several rounds to start going to the body. So that first round, I definitely I gave it I gave it to Canelo, but barely though. I'll admit that like I didn't give it like oh, let's clear Canelo around. Look at those bodies Both of them got a little bit done. None of them put a huge stamp on the round. I just kind of edged it to Canelo. The second one, um, you know, you got uh, Golovkin coming forward. He's letting that jab. He's snap. He's snapping Canelo's head back. And what was funny is you can see like in the first two rounds, like Canelo was really trying to match Golovkin's jab. Like, he was stepping forward hard and trying to, like, throw his own type of power jab to knock, like, look, I can jab as hard as you, motherfucker. But he quickly learned that it's not as effective and that he needs to change that strategy, which he did. He did win this. I definitely think, uh, I think everyone agrees that he won the second and third. He started landing um, some real power shots to the body and the head. He was going both, up and down. Um... He, th- he, th- was, he was throwing some really good right hooks to the body, which, if you recall, I kept saying that if he want, he needs to take away, in my, in my prediction for this fight, I kept saying he's going to have to take away Gennady's jab. And I think the best way for him to do that is to, base, is to feint with his jab or jab with Gennady for a second and hurl that right hook to the body. He's going to have to keep going with that right hook to the body because now he doesn't, bo- doesn't uh, block with his, his body too often and it'll set up a big right hand to the head that's what i said canelo should do and he started doing it hard in the second round he sent a lot of right hands to the body and he was coming back with that left hook to the head i thought he clearly won that round third round uh Gennady was still having trouble getting through the guard he was still having trouble landing anything besides the jab meanwhile canelo starts getting slicker and smoother he's in a rhythm he's looking good and he's landing more shots none of them were big though I got to say that. Like a lot of the shots were grazing, but they were still landing. They just weren't landing hugely. So after three rounds, I had it 3 nothing for Canelo, and that's when Triple G started to turn it around. He really found his rhythm in that fourth round, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he started to find – he started to time Canelo. So when Canelo was throwing those, those combinations, he was able to block them, including with the body punches. He was blocking the head and body punches really well. And he started trapping Canelo. He started – by blocking his shots, Canelo wasn't able to force Gennady back. So Gennady was able to continue forward behind that jab. And because of those things and because of the timing that he finally got in Canelo, that right hand of Gennady started landing. And the right hand just kept coming. And it let him really clearly win that fourth round. The fifth round was, I think, a little bit closer. You know, yet uh, Gennady was still uh, um, <laughs> you know, uh, was still forcing Canelo into a brawl, like you could see, they were actually ex- really starting to exchange shots. They were both in the trenches. They were trading punches to the head, and they're really getting in there, which uh, seemed to favor Gennady with his heavier hands. 
and uh, it really kind of kept Canelo from getting into a defensive rhythm. And that's when they both started smiling. <laughs> they both started smiling at each other, and Canelo was really like showing the machismo, and he was just like, nope, shaking his head, dropping his hands, letting him on, which no one, like, you don't do that to Gennady. And yet, there he was, Canelo sitting there waving him in, taking his best punches, really showing how good of a chin Canelo had. Uh, he's never been down. Like, the only time I've ever seen him rocked, as I said before, was against Jose Miguel Cotto when he was 19. And even then, like, he didn't go down. And he won that fight by knockout. And here he is. He's taking these huge, huge punches from Gennady Golovkin. And then, of course, that big punch lands. Uh, Canelo's trying to go for a little check hook with the left hand, and Gennady comes right over the top in a big right hook, which lands behind the ear of Canelo, which you'd think would just fuck up his equilibrium bad, but he just takes it, kind of fall, kind of like backs into the ropes, shaking his head like, nope, like what a fucking chin on Canelo. Like to take the punches of Gennady Golovkin was really impressive. But of course, that wasn't enough to win the fucking round. Uh, that was still another Triple G round. Especially based off that right hand alone, you could probably say it. But, of course, he kept the pressure up. He kept landing that jab. He started going to the body. Another Triple G round in the fifth. 6-1 uh, was a little bit closer. Um, but Gennady started strong. First 20 seconds into the round, he lands three right hands, one after another. It was, it was beautiful work. Beautiful. Canelo, of course, wanting to answer back, lands a couple of uppercuts and some left hooks. Um, it, it was, it was. You could tell Canelo was trying to stem the flow, like he was trying to. He was starting to throw a little bit of those "get the hell off me" shots. That's when it started in the sixth. But Triple G just kept being consistent. He just kept coming with the jab, and he was trapping. Like you can sometimes, uh, Canelo does like to fight off the ropes. I think that's important to point out again. While we're judging this fight, Canelo has always liked to fight off the ropes. He's he can do that and be comfortable, and you, sometimes it felt like that. But other times it felt like he had no choice that he wanted to move, but Triple G just wouldn't let him. And uh, this is the round we got that funny little thing where uh, Canelo put Triple G in a headlock with his left hand, and then kind of swung behind his back and hit Gennady on top of the head, and Gennady kind of answered back by smacking him. And it was like that weird smile thing, like oh, all right, motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was, I scored that for Triple G. Um, the seventh round, like I said before, was just mostly Canelo moving. A couple of shots here and there, but they were mostly get the hell off me punches while Triple G was just chasing him. A little bit of problem with Triple G, though, in that round. He should have been able to trap Canelo because Canelo was, like, trying to take the round off mostly. But Triple G was having a hard time trapping him. He was mostly just following him around the, following him around the ring, which little criticism for Triple G, I think he, and of course he complained later, like most fighters, most pressure fighters who didn't win, clearly complain that, you know, he complained that Canelo just ran, Canelo all he wanted to do was run, and he should have stood there and fought, and we'd all love that, definitely, I would love it if Canelo would have stayed there in the trenches the entire time, a Mexican fight, this is my style, this Mexican style, this big drama show, like we all wanted that, of course we did, but it, as Max Kellman pointed out, it is Gennady's job to make that happen, and he just wasn't, and like, this is a guy who's known for his great footwork and cutting off the ring, and yet he was following Canelo around. 
But with all that said, I still gave that round to Triple G because Canelo didn't do anything at all, really. He landed a few shots, but it was Triple G who was consistent. And Canelo wasn't dancing away because he was controlling the pace of the fight. He was dancing to really get away. So you can't give him any kind of points for ring generalship for that. And uh, Triple G was just more consistent. It's that simple. He's more consistent. Give him that round. The eighth, you saw Canelo's like trying to get back into his rhythm. He's trying to be a little more slick again. Lands another really good. He was landing good uppercuts all night. That was something that was definitely eye catching. Uh, Canelo's always had a really good right uppercut, and he was landing it again and again against Triple G and hard. The problem was, is they're a little too few and far between. You know, it wasn't like he should have kept it up more. But he was—he seemed like he was trying to conserve his energy, or he was just too tired and he couldn't do it. But he just didn't do it enough. Meanwhile, Triple G is trapping him against the ropes, throwing shots to the body again, throwing shots to the head, really just making Canelo's face turn all kinds of red and showing all kinds of distress, and just snapping his head this way and that way with the jab alone. Another round for Gennady. In the ninth, that's when we got like that big highlight reel right hand from Canelo. That huge overhand right that fucking annihilated guys like Amir Khan and James Kirkland. And Triple G just kind of ate it and was like, oh, you got a punch, huh? Good, this, good, this is my fight. This is the fight I want. This true fight. And he got really excited. And he just started going to Canelo's body along the ropes and throwing more combinations. And he, and, even though Canelo landed the best punch of the round, he didn't do much else. It was Gennady dictating the entire round with that jab and the combinations against the ropes, so he won that round again. The 10th is where, of course, this is after um, Chepo and Eddie were telling Canelo, you need these rounds. You need to turn it up again. You have to make sure you have these rounds. Get in there and get these rounds. And Canelo, to his credit, even though he looked gassed, he looked like he was done, looked like Triple G was on his way to maybe even stopping him. And yet Canelo dug deep down to those deep reservoirs that every great fighter has. It's that thing that special fighters have. It's that thing that makes a fighter go from a contender to a true champion. That thing that can one day get you into the Hall of Fame, a la Arturo Gatti. It's digging deep when you need to dig deep. When when you don't think you have any energy. Like Jack Dempsey always used to say, like a champion is somebody who gets up when they can't. Canelo didn't have to get up but he didn't have to continue the way he continued. He could have coasted the last three rounds, but he dug deep, and he made it a concerted effort to try and win this fight by getting these rounds. And he came out in that 10th, and he dominated the first minute. He was just too much for Triple G. Triple G was freezing. Remember, I talked about that in the pre-fight build-up to this. I said that Triple G has a little bit of a habit. When his, even he can trap his opponents against the ropes, fine, but when that opponent shows the big combination, Triple G will freeze up and cover up and let them get away with what they want. And Canelo started taking advantage of that in the last bit of the fight in the championship rounds in the 10th. And he was dominating that first that first minute of the round. I know that sounds kind of... He's only dominating a minute. Whatever. He looked good. Then he started to kind of get a little gas a little bit. Then it got a little more, a little more even. But in the second minute of that same round, Canelo was moving a lot and Triple G was just falling. Triple G wasn't able to mount much offense against him. He was just mostly following him. Third minute, Triple G lands a good combination. But it just wasn't enough to steal the round. It still didn't mount up 
to equal what Canelo did so far. So I, I gave that round to Canelo. I thought that the way he came out, just furious, definitely earned him the 10th. The 11th is a tricky one. A lot of people gave it to Canelo, but I, um, he landed a couple of shots, but he's still too inactive, I felt, in the 11th. And uh, Triple G was pushing him back. Once again, the jab was such a huge weapon for Triple G as it, as it was against Lemieux and Jacobs. Another thing I talked about is that he had the much better jab than Canelo, and that he could win fights off his jab, unlike Canelo, and that his jab was like a power shot. And he was, was snap. He went right back to snapping Canelo's head backwards and just following it up. He landed several like looping right hands, like like at the ear of Canelo, and like while Canelo was trying to turn away. All night he was able to turn away from the right hands and avoid them, but Gennady got dialed right back in and actually started landing those right hands. And he started, and at the end of the round, he landed a big right uppercut left hook combo to end the round, which I think solidified the 11th for Triple G. This made it pretty close. And then, of course, Canelo came in, and at this point, I've already given seven rounds, seven rounds to four so far after 11. And on my scorecard, and Canelo came out so vicious. He came out hard charging, throwing several combinations, landing most of the shots in those combinations, just being furious. He's landing more, and he did more damage that last round. And that first minute was all Canelo. And then the last two minutes of the fight, it's the 12th round of a brutal fight. Well, it's been a war. These guys taking huge punches. Both these guys are huge knockout punchers. That's the way it was built up. Everyone was pointing to the fact that both these guys can destroy you with a shot. Hugely heavy punchers and physically very, very strong guys. And here they are in the 12th round of a fight where they've traded viciously. And they're beating each other's heads from side to side, trading here and there. So brutal back and forth those last two minutes of the, of the fight. It was fantastic. It was such a great fight. Oh my God. How could you not love this? How could you not love it? Fuck you. How about that? But because of that first minute, <laughs> I gave it to Canelo. I gave the 12 to Canelo, making his total five, but Triple G's was seven. So that's me explaining what I saw and why I scored it the way I scored it. Um, I barely, I, I thought Triple G edged it. I thought he deserved the win. A draw, which is the official decision, it ended in a draw. And uh, I can see that. You know, because um, a lot of people scored the 11th for Canelo. And if you change that on on um, my card to a round for Canelo instead of Triple G, and it's a draw. Um, it, this fight ended in a draw. That's the bottom line. This fight ended in a draw. This fight was a draw. You could argue that one round should be changed to give it to Gennady Golovkin. But that's not a highway robbery. Maybe not the best decision. It's not a perfect decision, I don't think. I think the vast majority of fans pick an Adi to win, and he should have won. But a draw isn't the worst outcome. Uh, but most importantly, what a fight. Vicious exchanges. Man, these guys are tough. Um, we knew these. We knew they could take a shot. We knew they'd never been down, but they had. neither of these guys had seemed anyway to have faced a puncher like the other um i think you could argue that gennady did when he fought daniel jacobs i mean daniel jacobs is a vicious fucking is a vicious puncher 
Like when he made his comeback to boxing, incredible story, Daniel Jacobs. Man, the man had fucking spinal cancer, and they thought he was gonna die, never gonna fight again. And he fought it, and he beat it. And then he came back, and he came back better than ever. And he found out he had cancer after he had suffered his first loss. A loss that he got because he was unfocused because his grandma fucking died. Like, what a fucking, like, how, what a goddamn, how far can you drop in life? Like, your only parent figure dies, and then you lose your first professional fight by a knockout, a brutal one. And then you find out you have fucking spinal cancer? And you somehow beat all that. And you come back, and you get, what, 12 knockouts in a row? You get a title shot, and you win by first round knockout? Goddamn, Daniel Jacobs, that's an amazing fucking story. Then he gets that shot against Golovkin, and he makes the makes use of it. Wow, does he make use of that chance? And he put a hell of a performance. Uh, there was some controversy for that fight too. Some people thought Jacob should have won. I thought Gennady should have won, and he did win. Um, I agree with that decision. Uh, what a fight! But Daniel Jacobs weighed over one eighty five on fight night, and he was just laying into Gennady. Gennady took those shots, so. You had to have known Gennady could take a hell of a punch. But we didn't quite know about Canelo. He had fought Miguel Cotto. He had fought James Kirkland. But he didn't fight Gennady. He didn't fight anything like a Gennady Golovkin in terms of power anyways. And he ate those punches. I didn't. I can't really think of a time when I thought he was legitimately hurt. Like, there were times where you could think, oh, I think he's a little bit buzzed. That's why he's moving around. But he was never wild or all over the place. I mean, his legs were underneath him. Speaking of the legs underneath him, never seen Canelo move that much. He was much lighter on his feet than I thought he was going to be. That alone, was that, that was very impressive. And also probably the reason why he tired so badly. Anyway. <laughs> wow. Anyway, what a tribute. What a fucking tribute. And I say tribute because this happened on Mexican Independence Day. For those who don't know, I myself am Mexican-American. And it's funny, you can't help but love the fighters that share your background with, can you? It's just something about feeling representation up there on that stage or on that screen, wherever it is something magical about it and when you can see one of those the people that represent you and that's the thing Gennady Golovkin has been adopted by my people uh, very strongly since he came here got trained by Abel Sanchez and Abel Sanchez it's like you know what we're gonna make you fight more like a Mexican fighter and it worked and Gennady's been a fucking sensation ever since I mean how fun is it to hear Gennady Golovkin in a Kazakh accent speak Spanish. It's 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 great. It's so charming. It's so charming. It's not like we're laughing at him either. I mean, he's laughing with us. He knows that it's charming and that we love it. And he's just, Buenos noches, everyone, my people, my friends, all my friends, big day. Big day for Mexican people. Independence. Congratulations. Such a great thing. I mean, it's no secret that Boxing has an enormous Hispanic and specifically Mexican fan base. Um, I grew up in predominantly um, Hispanic and black neighborhoods, and boxing was always a big thing. Um, Later on in life, when I moved to more uh, like white, when I was one of more white neighborhoods and white friends, 
uh, MMA was actually much more popular with them. But when I anytime I go back to like a Mexican community or a black community or talk to them, boxing is just is bigger than ever, especially with Mexican people, my people, and to, like on Mexican Independence Day, the two hundred and seventh anniversary of the Cry of Dolores. For those you don't know, it was in in eighteen ten. Um, it was a it was a priest named um, uh, Miguel Hidalgo who cried basically cried for independence and triggered the call to arms in a small town called Dolores, which kind of ushered like fuck that we're fighting for independence. This is it. We're declaring it now. It happened on September sixteenth, eighteen ten. Here we are, two hundred and seven years later, and this day is not just has such such a an iconic holiday for the Mexican people, so important to the Mexican people, and something else is very, very important, boxing. Naturally, the two go together. Um, Floyd Mayweather was really smart by constantly fighting on this holiday because he knew a huge portion of the boxing fan base was going to be want to watch a fight, and so we fought on those holidays, and look how much fucking money that motherfucker made, and of course, Canelo said, I'm taking, this, I'm taking the Mexican holidays back for the Mexican people. And he's been fighting on those days and been killing it. And what better way to really celebrate an oppressed people fighting for their freedom than to have two people who both strongly identify and, and are beloved by those people to go at it and give of themselves what they gave on Saturday night to go in there and risk what they risked and to brutalize the shit out of each other in tribute. It was a beautiful night and a beautiful tribute. What a goddamn fight. And we sh- I can't wait for the rematch. I mean, if we, you heard Roy, when Roy Jones talked about it, I'm actually glad they didn't end a decision because now we get to see a rematch. I didn't believe him. I felt like that was HBO in his ear telling him, hype up the next fight, please, please, please make, spin this, spin this, spin this. And he was trying, but his, his seemed kind of hollow because it wasn't Roy. When Roy is being Roy, oh, you can tell. That motherfucker is so energetic and charismatic. You can't you can't help but love that motherfucker. When he's talking, he's, he's amazing. Roy Jones is so entertaining. And if you need a little more evidence of that, check out uh, HBO's boxing podcast, HBO Boxing Podcast. He was a guest on one of their episodes last week, and he just went on this huge rant about the toolbox. It's fantastic. You need, how can you pound for pound best one if you ain't got a full toolbox? You got to have a full toolbox to be the best pound for pound. You got to need a full toolbox. Like, he just went on this long thing, and it was so much fun. Like, Roy, Roy's, Roy's fucking great. Let's, let, I love him. But uh, who really made, who I think helped people get more excited for the uh, rematch, though, was Jim Lampley with his final words, his final thoughts, because it's Jim Lampley. I mean, no one can do with an emotional moment what Jim Lampley can do with an emotional moment. Um, like, the intro to this podcast, the, the the Pugilist Pulpit, has clips from Jim Lampley, two specific clips that I specifically asked for, which were his fight, the De La Hoya versus Fernando Vargas fight, yelling, there's so much desire in Fernando Vargas, but a better fighter is being, like, such an amazing call, that fight. And obviously, the one of the greatest calls ever, Arturo Gatti versus Mickey Ward when Arturo Gatti was out on his feet like we thought he was gonna just die and Jim Lampley screaming forgetting that he had a job to do forgetting he was supposed to be 
neutral in this. Forgetting he was just supposed to be explaining what happened. He got emotional and yelled at the referee, Frank, and said, Stop it, Frank. You can stop it at any time. Like, beautiful things. And it was that man who was able to really, I think, warm all of our hearts a little bit. You know, we were all upset about the decision. We were all mad about Adelaide Bird. We were mad that it, even that it went a draw. And it didn't go to Golovkin. We were upset that we didn't get a conclusive win, a winner here. And yet Jim Lampley, the fucking dad of boxing, kind of sat us all down and said, it's okay, kids. It's okay. We saw something beautiful here tonight. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. You should have enjoyed yourselves because of what they did in there. We got a great fight, a fight that lived up to the hype. So few, many times does a pay-per-view, a huge pay-per-view fight actually live up to an all-action type of fight. And yet we got it. We should be grateful for that. It ended a draw. But really, would you really want to call either of those men a loser tonight? After what they did? After what they gave? After how hard both of them fought and what they did to win the rounds that they won? Would you really want to call either one of them a true loser after Saturday night? Hard to say. But I am absolutely excited for the rematch. 100%. They fucking got us. They got us, those sons of bitches. All right, real quick, before I go, let's talk about the future. Max immediately asked him, you want a rematch? Do you guys would like a rematch? And of course, Gennady wants an immediate rematch. But he also kind of knew that Canelo likes to fight twice a year. And so he kind of left in there that uh, maybe another fight, but then this fight saying that, which kind of shows us that if they get a rematch soon, it'll probably be in May, another Mexican holiday. And then Gennady would maybe fight in January before then, you know, like a quick fight, keep him busy, keep him on the, just feeling good. Gennady likes to keep busy. His team likes to keep him busy, keep his name out there. Um, and of course there's always danger in a warm-up fight. You never know what could happen. Huge upset. Gennady can get old overnight, a huge cut, delays, blah, blah, blah. A lot of dangers in that, but he definitely wants a rematch. Canelo said he wants the rematch, but who, there's also been a lot of things about maybe not, maybe some time will go by. Maybe he'll want to wait a little bit longer, which goes back to fucking Oscar La Hoya's uh, strategy that's been going on for the past two years, is that he waited. He waited until Golovkin lost a step to get in there with, to let Canelo get in there with him, let Canelo get a little more mature, let Canelo get a little bit older, blah, blah, blah. We all know this fucking story. And that's what De La Hoya wants to do again. He wants to do that again. He wants to wait a little bit longer for the rematch so that to make sure Canelo gets the win, which is such a shitty thing. Such a shitty thing, especially since there's talks of Canelo fighting Conor McGregor really where where 160 really come on you're gonna do 154 catch weight 155 150 fucking six conor mcgregor of course is the lightweight ufc champion i mean he technically holds the belt at featherweight the belt at featherweight and lightweight but i mean he's not gonna def- he's not going back down to 145 you guys come on if you're familiar at all or, or, you know, with uh, mixed martial arts, you know that uh, Conor McGregor, like, of course, incredible run at featherweight, you know, incredible win to win the title against Jose Aldo with that beautiful knockout in 13 seconds, but he was really draining himself, doing through so much to make 145 for those fights, 
and that's why I moved to 155. He looks so much more comfortable. I think it's so much more healthy for him to be at 155. That's why his fight against Floyd was at the was signed for junior middleweight, which is 154. And also in that fight, they wore eight ounce gloves. Um, even if, let's say, if Canelo concedes and says, you know what, we could fight at 155. Your most comfortable weight, or we could do 154. So it's not a catchweight. It's a pure junior middleweight fight. We'll do 154 pounds in 10 ounce gloves. Is do they like? Come on, do you really think that Conor McGregor wins that fight? If you got stopped by a 40 year old ex champion who had been retired for two years, who was definitely had lost a step. I mean, I know there's probably people yelling about that. It's like, oh my god, he beat the greatest of all time. Show him respect. He was outboxing the best of all time. Which I've heard people say that Connor was outboxing the best of all time. Which a Floyd Mayweather is not the best of all time. Maybe top ten. I don't even think about top ten. Not the best of all time. Don't disrespect Sugar Ray Robinson or his legacy with that shit. Or Henry Armstrong. Or Willie Pep. Or Harry Greb. Or Sugar Ray Leonard. Or Robert Durant. Stop it. How dare you? Um. Anyway, besides that, uh, he would. How boxed him? Floyd was just coming at him, and he wasn't trying to box with him. He's just putting pressure on him, going to the body, waiting for Connor to wilt, which he did, due to Floyd's pressure and body punching. Connor didn't just magically run out of gas; his gas was tank was taken from him through body punches and pressure, a lot of pressure. Anyways, I'm getting off fucking track, and I'm so sorry about that, you guys. I apologize. But at the same time, I could see why. De La Hoya would want that fight because he feels so disrespected by the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather fight and he would want to have Conor get hurt by putting him in there with a guy like Canelo who would just go at him. Um, We've seen what Conor's power can do. I know people are saying that, for some reason, people are saying that they're saying that Conor hit Floyd more than anyone had ever hit Floyd and then at the same time, they're saying, but Connor didn't hit him with his real power. Like, really? So Connor was holding back the entire fight? The entire fight, he didn't hit him with his true power? He hit him with the big uppercut. But that's not what he specializes in. He specializes in straight left hands. It's like, if you got heavy hands, you got heavy hands. And he hit him square with a left uppercut, and it didn't bother Floyd one iota in eight-ounce gloves. He just smiled at him and kept walking. He landed several straight left hands later on in the fight, and they didn't do anything. Like, this is the guy who was moving backwards and was still able to knock out Jose Aldo. And yet, I mean, really going to tell me he didn't get to land with real power against Floyd? He did. It just didn't bother Floyd that much because Floyd has a better chin than people gave him credit for. And Canelo, as he's proved on Saturday, also has a better chin than people gave him credit for. Like, the idea that Connor could hurt Canelo... And the body punch is just tore Connor apart and in the and coming into the later rounds. Like that's what really did him in was the body work early on. And Canelo is a terrific body puncher. Uh, <laughs> come on, you guys. Come on. Please. Max. Max. You serious? You serious? Let's not stop being silly, guys. Anyway, you know what's funny? Of all the mixed martial artists um, who are world class, world class athletes and fighters, bad motherfuckers, 
if you were to put like gun to my head, like who do I think would have the most success switching straight over to boxing? Um, first name that pops in my head is actually uh, Cody Garbrandt. You know, he fought uh, he, in the amateurs as a boxer. Um, he's got great stand-up. He's knocked out like fucking everyone. He's only been the five-round distance once, and that was against a fucking elite fucking badass and dominant Cruz who's constantly moving, has awkward movement. He's so hard to find. DJ Dillashaw is one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. He couldn't find him, and yet Cody Garbrandt found him consistently and dropped him three times and just just dominated him. I think Cody Garbrandt would have a good chance. I think he'd have a better chance than Connor being successful. Especially since you consider uh, Cody's weight. You know, he'd probably fight around 130, the uh, lightweight limit, which is 135 in boxing, and that division's kind of open right now, you know? At the top, you got Jorge Linares and Mikey Garcia, but I think, they're, they're, I think I don't know, Cody Garbrandt might be really successful. Also, there's the Chris Cyborg thing. She talked about um, switching over because she just she has to kill herself to make 145 and the 145 division in UFC for women is very new and it's like a couple of people in there I mean I still want to see her fight Holly Holm Holly Holm was one of my favorite fighters in the world I think Holly Holm has the perfect style to beat her but we don't know Cyborg's talked a lot about going to boxing I think she'd probably she might be successful as long as she doesn't fight around one I think she should go to 160 plain and simple Maybe try to get a fight against Christina Hammer or Clarissa Shields. She sparred with Shields, of course. But if she stays at the lower weight, she's going to drain herself and hurt herself to make weight. And at those lower weight classes around 145, where she last fought at, she's going to have to fight Cecilia Brekhus. And don't like that fight for Cyborg. Not at all. Cyborg loses that fight. She has a better chance against Christina Hammer. Well, this podcast really took a turn, didn't it? (laughs) Talking about this shit. Oh, my God. Oh, Joanna. Joanna Janjacek would also, I think, have a pretty good... I mean, she relies a lot on kicks, but she's still a pretty good striker, you know? Too bad Rumble Johnson quit, huh? He had heavy hands. Getting off track again. God damn it, you guys. Anyways, uh, what's else? Uh, the middleweight division in boxing is still pretty open, I think. Um... Uh, there's a lot of names, like, uh, for a long time, there was, like, a bunch of, uh, European fighters who were just right there in that top ten, but Gennady kind of retired them a little bit, like the Matthew Macklins, Daniel Gills, and the Martin Murrays, and Greg Works Proxas, and all that type of stuff, so, but, but, we still got Daniel Jacobs, we still got Daniel Jacobs, he is waiting in the wings, I picked Daniel Jacobs to beat any middleweight in the world outside of Canelo and Triple G. Like, I automatically pick him. He's automatically a huge favorite. I think anyone would pick Jacobs to be a huge favorite against any of the other middleweights in the world. But he also still has a very good chance of beating Triple G or Canelo. Either or. This is what we need. Like, this is what should happen is an immediate rematch between Gennady and uh, Canelo. Maybe a third fight. Who knows? It depends on how one side of the second fight is. A third fight might happen down the road. might happen immediately. Who knows? But the winner needs to fight Daniel Jacobs soon. With that performance that Daniel Jacobs did against Gennady, he deserves a rematch against Gennady, and he deserves a shot at see if he can beat Canelo Alvarez, which that might be a pretty, like, 
Hmm, that's a interesting fight for Canelo. I do think that Danny would come after him and it would give Canelo counterpunching chances. And because Daniel Jacobs doesn't have the jab that Gennady has, he'd have a little more trouble. But at the same time, Daniel Jacobs is much bigger. And it'd be a problem for Alvarez. That's an interesting fight. So look at me. That's an interesting fight. Talking about that. David Lemieux even against Canelo is an interesting fight. That's an interesting fight. I don't care. That's That could be fun. Because, I mean, why wouldn't it be fun? David Lemieux is going to be fun to watch against guys who are at least similar to his height. And he's going to be able to kind of reach him. He's got that enormous power. That's going to be fun to watch against anybody. Billy Joe Saunders... Um, we just saw his kid fucking dick punch Billy Monroe, which was a, not a classy move, guys. Come on, Billy Joe. What's your son doing over here? What's his name? Billy Bob? <laughs> Sorry, that was a lame joke. My bad. Anyways, Billy Joe Saunders, um, 25-0. I mean, he deserves a shot. Put him against David Lemieux. That'd be fun. Where are you going to tell me that's not going to be fun? Daniel Jacobs against either, like... Those like those three, Alvarez, Golovkin, Jacobs, mix and match them any way you like. Put Saunders versus Lemieux on the undercard. Winners fight the winners. The rest of the division is pretty open. It's kind of like, oh, here's some guy there, here's a guy there. Untested, untested, overly tested, didn't make it kind of shit. Except for uh, Charlo. Charlo's kind of coming up. You know, Jamal, he's 26-0, 29 guys. He's coming. Although, I don't think he beats any of those top guys. We'll see. <laughs> Anyways, I know I'm ra- starting to ramble on. I know this podcast kind of petered out at the end because I'm by myself. Come on, give me a break, you guys. Come on. Just a guy in a room with several beers and whiskey. Just talking his heart out. <laughs> anyway, uh... Once again, such a terrific fight. It was a great fan. It was a fucking sizzling fight. It was a fucking slobber knocker. I'm excited for the rematch. I know a draw seems just uh, frustrating. LA Bird is a piece of shit. But don't forget what happened. Don't forget what happened on Saturday night. Don't forget the way they fought. Don't forget those 12 rounds. Don't forget how close the fight was, how brutal those punches were thrown, how tough they showed themselves to be. Rematch, uh, top of my head, who I think is going to win, that's so hard because you could argue that if Canelo just had some better stamina, if he was able to mount that offensive again in the middle rounds, if if he wasn't trying to take rounds off and get that second win, he looked exhausted. Maybe he could have won the fight. Maybe he could have won a couple more rounds in the middle going. If he would have just kept the combinations coming and kept triple made Triple G freeze more often with those combinations. Maybe he could if he would have gone to the body a little more often, maybe he could have won if he had the energy to. If he wasn't throwing those big uppercuts so few and far between. If they were more consistent, Canelo could have won the fight. If he had better stamina, he could have won the fight. You could easily argue that. You could easily argue, though, that Triple G has now been on the highest stage he could possibly have been at. Now he's ready. He said, I have a few ideas on how to beat Canelo next time. Maybe this time he goes to the body more like he's supposed to, like he usually does. Maybe he focuses more on the body this time and he takes away all the stamina of Canelo and stops him late. 
this is close. I mean, obviously, like I said, like I, I thought Canelo won this first fight. Um, but there's definitely a scenario where Canelo turns it around. He's a very, very smart, skilled boxer. But so has so has Triple G. They both proved that they were worth the hype. Both these guys are considered hype jobs at different times. They both proved that they're not hype. They're both legit. These are two of the very best fighters in the world. Two of the toughest and most fun to watch fighters in the world. Show them fucking respect and let's get fucking excited for this rematch. Thank you so much for listening once again. My name is Adney Barreno and this has been the Pugilistic Pulpit where we talk boxing.